We were at Job chapter 5. And this is such a, a good song that we had just sang in regards to, Yes, we will. Yes, we will praise God regardless of the season that we're going through. We took a little break from Job about two weeks, but now we are back. And this is a series that we've been going through called In the Face of Suffering. In the Face of Suffering. And, and what I like about this, this book, and I think that what we can learn together is how to face suffering. <laughs> how to face suffering. I don't know about you or what you're going in, through in your life, your personal walk and the personal spiritual warfare, maybe that you're going through mentally, physically, spiritually, even maybe emotionally, something that is difficult. But we see here that Job lost it all. Not only did he lose it all, he actually had a lot more than what we normally do to lose. He had more to lose and he lost it all. Just imagine you being very wealthy, having all the children, having all the territory, all, all the, the wealth and the house and everything. And in one moment, everything is taking away from your children, your wealth, your land, your harvest. Everything is taken away. And then after that, his health now is attacked. Boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, completely 24-7 pain for a man named Job. I don't know about you, but there are times in our lives where we go through seasons where it's like 24-7 pain, 24-7 struggle, and it requires a, a, a great amount of endurance to weather that storm. See, there will be storms that are going to come your way, but will you weather the storms? Or will you say, you know what, I'm going to give up, I'm going to throw in the towel, the storm is coming my way, I'm going to, in the face of suffering, give in to suffering. Right? I've titled today's message, Who Do You Listen To? Because in suffering, in endurance, through times of adversity or trial or testing, you have to be very very careful who you listen to. The enemy is going to come and bring people your way to whisper to you and, and maybe give you bad advice or people that love you, that come and surround you and give you counsel that is not godly. You're going to listen to your feelings, listen to your emotions. You're going to listen to the lies of the enemy, the lies of the devil that want to put thoughts in your mind that are not true. But who will you listen to? Do you see here that Job's three friends came after everything was wiped away and his wife tells Job, you know what his wife tells Job? Just curse God and die now, Job. Your life sucks. Job, your life is not worth nothing, Job. His wife tells him, just go ahead and just curse God. Turn your back on God and just die now because of everything. Your, your life is worth nothing. Right? What does it say that Job does in the middle of that, all of that pain, all of that struggle that me and you sometimes go through? What does he do? Does he curse God? Does he say, I don't want nothing to do with God? Does he say, you know what? Well, God took everything away from me. No, he says, you know, blessed I came into my mother's womb. Well, naked I came and naked I will go. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He maintained an attitude of integrity just like when he had much and when he didn't have anything. Praise God when he gave it to me. Praise God when He chose to remove everything from me. He praises God, and what does the Bible tell us? That He maintains His integrity. Now, that's where we left off two weeks ago about maintaining our integrity. 
And I want to ask you, since those two weeks have passed and you've gone through maybe a season in your life, have you maintained your integrity in the moment of adversity where you felt hopeless, where you felt helpless, where did you turn? Did you maintain your integrity? Integrity means where did you turn when no one was looking? What did you turn to when you felt alone, empty, and afraid? That you were losing, that you were taking a loss. Did you maintain your integrity? I pray that, that you would maintain your integrity and that you would be very careful what you listen and who you listen to. Because if you start to listen to your emotions or listen to those people that are surrounding you that do not come with godly counsel, they come with worldly counsel, guess what's going to happen? You're going to drift away from your integrity. You will drift away from your integrity. There are five things that we learned here from Job so far, and it's going to develop throughout the story here, that I really started to just pen out and write down in my personal notebook as I was reading this. And number one, I want to give it to you. I hope that you write these down. Number one is that he maintained his integrity. Why? Because he feared God. Do you want to maintain an integrity? It starts with you fearing God. Those that maintain an integrity are those that fear God. He maintained his integrity because he feared God. You know what made him different than his friends? You know what made him different even than his wife in some sense? Is that he feared God and his friends didn't. <laughs> Is that he's had an understanding that some things he would not be able to figure out, but he can still trust God. You know what the problem is, is that we try to figure everything out. You go through a struggle, you want to find who, who's, what's the reason to blame? Who can I blame? Who can I attack? Who can I go for? Instead of saying, I'm just going to remain silent and I'm going to trust God even though I don't know what He's doing. Number one, He maintained His integrity because He feared God. Number two, He was not influenced, listen to this, influenced by outside voices of confusion and of judgment. You know what the outside voices come into your life to do? To bring confusion and judgment. His friends came and thinking that they were providing counsel, he was not influences, influenced with the voice of confusion and with the voice of judgment. If, if it's a voice of confusion, if, it bring, if it's bringing confusion into your mind, it's not from God. Just know that already. Write that down. Remember that for the rest of your life. If it's bringing confusion, if it is a voice of confusion into my life, it's not from God. Because God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of order. If it's taking the peace away from me, then it's not from God. He it was not influenced by the outside voices of confusion and of judgment. Please pay attention that you do not become influenced by voices, but you become influenced and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Number three is that he believed in the power of God in every season of his life. And maybe you're in a, in a season of your life where you've never been in a season like this one before. And you're afraid. Job was afraid. And there was many things that he didn't know. But he didn't know one thing. He believed in the power of God in every season of his life. He knew that God was in control. He knew that God was sovereign. He knew that God was still ruling. He knew that God was still in authority and in control. He believed in the power of God in every season of his life. Number four, we learn that Job endured. Why did he endure though? Why did, is it that he went through so much and he still endured? I, I have so much respect 
for people that go through a lot, however they endure, and you see them still enduring now in their faith, in their spiritual walk. But he endured because of his convictions and not because of his feelings. Do you know, did, did, you, I mean, did you listen to that one? <laughs> because that one convicted me. You know, if you want to endure, you're going to endure not because of your feelings. Your feelings will never let you endure a trial. Your convictions will. You know what your feelings say? Your feelings say, go a different direction. Your feelings and emotions say, give in to suffering. Your feelings and emotions say, turn your back on God. That's what your feelings and emotions say. And that never allows you to endure. Your convictions say, I'm going to trust God. <laughs> Do you see that? How endurance doesn't come by feelings. Endurance comes by convictions. He endured because of his convictions and not because of his feelings. Do not be moved with feelings, but be moved with convictions. And number five, listen to this one. He kept his eyes on God. Yes, he didn't know what was going on. Yes, he struggled with bitterness, just like we all do. Yes, he struggled with loss. Yes, he struggled with the unknown. Yes, he struggled with why. But in the moment, as he went through every single phase and every single layer of pain, because it was a layer after another layer after another layer of pain. He kept his eyes on God. And I pray that you would keep your eyes on God. Right? Because this, really, this book really teaches us that when we are desperate and hopeless to keep trusting God. You are maybe desperate and hopeless today, but keep trusting God. Now through the entire book, we see that there are three rounds where his three friends come into the picture. And th this dialogue unfolds, right? And as this dialogue really unfolds, we, we, we start to learn that the enemy comes and he always wants to accuse you. He always wants to accuse us. The enemy wants to come and accuse us, make us feel guilty, make us feel shame. And, and, and really, the way that, that we have to look at this and understand this is that the reason of suffering is because we live in a fallen nature. Therefore, we're subject, all of us, to suffering. We're not exempt from it. We're subject to suffering. And there are times where we think, why am I going through all of this? Well, poor me. Well, we live in a fallen nature. And because of that fallen nature, we are subject to suffering. We are not exempt from it. In fact, suffering, there is in the Bible a promise that you will go through suffering. God promises you that. <laughs> That's a promise that we don't want to read about. But the Bible says that you will go through suffering. Or, and in that promise, it also promises peace. And it promises that you can overcome pain. In John chapter 19, verse 33, and write this down, it says, These things I have spoken to you, Jesus saying, that in me you may have peace. I want you to have peace. That's what I'm about to tell you this. And then he goes on, In this world you will go through tribulation. In this world it will be rough. In this world you will befall through persecution. In this world you will go through suffering, through heartache, through a headache, through everything, through all kinds of pain. Know this. But be of good cheer. But cheer up, my friend. Disciples, I have overcome the world. Do you see how you can overcome pain when you're trusting in Jesus? You see that not only does He promise you suffering, but in that suffering He also promises peace. He also promises that you will overcome pain. Because Satan's going to come right now and try to attack Job. And, and you know what Satan's case is? Is that, you know what, people worship God because you give God, because God, you give Job everything. But take everything away from watch. He won't go to church. Take everything away from watch. Job's going to curse you, God. 
And then second, Job passed the test and Satan comes, look at the, the, re the reason why he worships you is because you haven't attacked his health. Take away his health. Watch, he's not going to worship you anymore. That was Satan's case. But when you endure, you trust God. No matter what season you're going through life, you can say, Lord, I'm looking to you. I love that this book is called Job, and I like that it's not called art. <laughs> Imagine if it was called your name. Would you endure? Would there be a story of endurance after over 30 chapters of endurance if this book was called your name? We thank God that it was called Job. Because although Job struggled through many things on the, in the journey, guess what? He kept his eyes on God. And we're all going to struggle through things in this journey. But are you keeping your eyes on God? His three friends, Eliphaz, Bilidad, and Zophar come and they try to console him, but they really come with a horrible belief that he's suffering because of sin. And it is his sin that is making him suffer and, and good things, you know, only good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And, and they really consider themselves great theologians that they knew God very well. But instead of being great theologians, they actually were really horrible comforters. And as a church, we have to not walk around and pride ourselves in being great a theologian, a great theologian experience with God. But they had very little experience with God because they were very horrible comforters. The best comforters are those that have experience with God. Because they know what God can do. And in a moment of trial, what people need is they need compassion. They don't need condemnation. And they need to learn. Through this book, you're going to learn right now in these, these several chapters. And I just need to have this little introduction because we took two weeks off. We, we must understand where we left off. Is that we're learning about God. You're learning about the character of God. You're learning about why, why we as believers, why, why we see pain and suffering, why we experience it even unjustly when we don't even deserve it. You're going to learn that. That we will go through these things. You're going to go through times in your life where I hate this. I hate my life. Job's going to say it. He's going to say it today in today's message. But does he curse God? Does he turn his back on God? No. You must understand who God is and you also must understand who God is not. Do you know who God is? I love what A.W. Tozer says. The most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. Can I read that to you again? The most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Because that's the most important thing about you. You know what, what, what you know about God? It's what keeps you going. It's what gives you endurance to go through every season of life. What you know about God. And I, and I pray that you would really know who God is. A lot of times people say, well, I don't think, you know, they, and you see it in, in, in even... You, you, in the media, in the culture today. Oh, I don't believe God exists anymore because of pain. If that thing happened to that person, there's no way that God exists. Read your Bible. Because bad things happen to good people. <laughs> Suffering happens to good people. Why? Because we live in a fallen nature. Know who God is, know who God is not. 
God is a God of compassion, full of grace, full of mercy. And He desires that you would go to Him. Now, verse 4, we left off where it's His first friend comes and he has a great faith in tradition. He has a very rigid theology where he's very legalistic. He leaves no room or very even little room for God's grace or compassion on the life of Job when he's going through the struggle. And he, you know what his case is in uh, Eliphaz? His case is that innocent people do not suffer. That is a horrible case. That's something that we must never think. Innocent people will experience suffering. Think about Jesus. Was he not innocent? Did he not suffer? He's the best example for us. That Jesus was innocent, however he suffered. And, and Eliaphaz, he's coming with this, with this mentality that I have learned. I have observed. I have seen, right? And he's offering man's wisdom. Why don't we pray before we get into the message? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. And we pray, Lord, that we would learn about who you are. That we would learn, God, that you are a God of compassion, of mercy, that you're sovereign in control of everything, God. And Lord, that you have given us, Lord, your word, your grace, your mercy, God. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn who you are in the moments of testing, in the moments of adversity. Teach us through this portion of Scripture in Jesus' name. Together we said, Amen. Amen. It says this, that... Eliaphaz comes and he comes with man's wisdom. Listen to this. Man's wisdom will only offer you a temporary hope. Man's wisdom only offers you temporary hope. In fact, man's wisdom is fool's hope. You know, you look at something in life that tries to give you a good counsel, a good word of wisdom, that is fool's hope. What we need is God's wisdom. That's what we need. James 3.17 says this, With the wisdom that is from above, the wisdom of God is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. That is the wisdom of God. They did not come purely. They did not come gentle. They did not come peaceable. And it says it's willing to yield full of mercy and of good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. We, that is the wisdom that we need, the wisdom of God in, in the moments of trial. Because that is the wisdom that's going to last. Job chapter 5. Eliaphaz continues, and he's saying, you are being now chastened by God because of your sin. You deserve this pain. That's what he he's telling them. You deserve it. We learned already that Job is a blameless man. And in Job 5 it says, call out now. Is there anyone who will answer you? And he's telling them, come on, call out to God. Who's going to listen to you? And to which of your holy ones will you turn? For wrath kills a foolish man. Listen to this. It's the anger of God that's killing a foolish man. He's calling him foolish. And envy slays a simple one. I have seen the foolish taking root. But suddenly I've cursed his dwelling place. His sons are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate. And there is no deliverer. Verse 4, he's saying, you know what? You just like a foolish, their sons are delivered and suffering. Just like Job's sons. He says, you are that man. That you, your, your children and your family are suffering because of your sins and because of their sins. Because the hungry eat up its harvest, taken even from its thorns, and a snare satches its substance. For affliction does not come from the dust. He said, affliction doesn't just come out of nowhere. There's a reason for affliction, he's saying. Nor does the trouble spring from the ground. It doesn't just grow, just coincidentally. Verse 7, Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. He's saying there is, this is not by chance. 
you now are due to this type of suffering in your life, Job. You and your kids, the foolish men. But he gives them this, this advice, this recommendation now. Look at the advice that he gives them. But as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my case. And in fact, he's telling them, just repent, ask for forgiveness, confess your sins, Job. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without a number? He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He's talking about God. He's coming here as a great theologian that he knows everything about God. How he doesn't know how to comfort people with the grace and mercy of God. And it says he frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the counsels of their cunning come quickly upon them. Verse 13. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope in the noontime as in the night. He saves the needy from the sword. Verse 15. From the mouth of the mighty and from their hand. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts her mouth. Now what is he telling them here? He says cry out to God. Plead to Him. He is sovereign now. There is power in God. He can help anyone. Just repent already, Job. Now verse 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Now, is this true? Does the Bible not say that we should accept now the discipline of God? The Bible does say to accept the discipline of God. He is speaking a partial truth, but He's speaking truth in the wrong context. Does God now punish those, or do we now face adversity because of sin? Is that, is that true? Yes, it's true. Some of the adversity that we go through is because of sin. Does that mean that all suffering is to do with sin? No. Absolutely not. Now, do you see how he's taking truth and putting it into the wrong context now? And he's almost blaming now Job that he deserved this type of pain. Let's read from verse 17 and on as we continue seeing the case that he's building against Job now in regards to that he needs to be corrected. Job needs to be corrected. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Don't despise it. Don't reject it, God. Just submit to it. Accept it. This is what God wants for you. For He bruises, but He binds up. He wounds, but His hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in, the se in seven no evil shall touch you. In famine He shall redeem you from death. And in war from the power of the sword, you shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you shall not be afraid of destruction when he comes. Now, what is he saying here as he changes a little bit of the narrative of what he was saying? He said, just, just trust in God. He's going to restore everything to you. Just repent. Just go to Him. You see, He's going to take everything that you lost, and He's going to give it to you back. But just repent, because you're guilty. Now, verse here at 22 you shall laugh at the destruction and famine. You're going to look back and you're going to say, I can't believe that took place to, in my life. And you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth and you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field. You shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. Nothing will be missing. You shall know that your descendants shall be many as your offspring, like the grass of the earth. You're going to have family again and children again. You shall come to the grave at a full age. You're going to die and live a long life now as a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. It's going to be beautiful, the season for you now. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true here and know for yourself. Verse 27. Now, do you see how here he's coming to him and he's saying, you know what? I'm going to use a little bit of logic 
And I'm going to tell you, Job, that you deserve now. And you should receive the lesson that God is trying to teach you. Confess your sin because this is something that God wants for you. See, these are not the words that, that you need to take to someone that's going through an, a type of adversity. Because you do not heal a broken heart with logic. You heal a broken heart with love. You don't heal a broken heart with logic. Don't go up to someone trying to counsel them with logic. What he's trying to do is trying to bring logic. Suffering, that means sin. Logical. <laughs> that's what he's thinking. What does the Bible tell us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15? That we should speak the truth in, what? in love. When you talk about God, talk about Him in love. And also talk about the truth about God in the right context. In the right context, right? Because truth even spoken at the wrong time, in the wrong way, does not bring comfort. Truth spoken at the wrong time in the wrong way doesn't bring comfort. Was he saying things that were true? He was saying things that were true. God was going to restore Job. God did restore Job. Those things were true. He was saying that God chastens those that, that, that rebel. He, that is also true. But does that apply? That doesn't apply. That's because Job is not guilty. Job is going through this season of adversity and God is making an example of how this man is enduring now, even through seasons where his faith is being tested. You know what suffering does? It tests your faith, how genuine your faith is. How genuine your faith is. And you know what faith is? Faith is not knowing all the answers. Faith is you saying, I, I don't know. Faith is believing without seeing. That's what it is. It's saying, I believe, and when I cannot see, when I don't understand, my faith is still in God because I know what He's done in the past and I know what He can do today. Right? So now you've seen here what He's, what he's teaching and, and what, he's, what we're learning now from the life of Job, what the, the Holy Spirit is teaching us here. And what is Eliphaz doing? He's, he's making assumptions. Be careful that when you try to counsel someone, you don't come to them with assumptions. Because... Assumptions or conclusions, like the ones that Eliaphaz was doing, they reduce a, a real understanding and insight. An understanding and an insight of what that person is going through. An assumption, a conclusion. Because we're full with pride. You know what pride is during that moment? Is, is you thinking that you know something that you really don't know. You hear someone's going through suffering, oh, they deserve it. That's pride in your life. You're someone that is, is going through something. You know, it's because of that. You try to diagnose the test. Like, like, you know things. You don't know it. You don't know it. It's prideful. You know what? The thing about pride is that pride and compassion, they can't coexist. You cannot show compassion to someone while you're acting in pride. You want to demonstrate it. You want to have a heart of compassion to say, Lord, remove my pride. Because pride and compassion cannot coexist. This man came with, I know what's wrong with you. You cannot come that way. But Job here in chapter 6, he re responds now. He responds, and look how he responds. And I, and I want you to respect this response. <laughs> because this is how it sounds when you're at home and talking to your wife. <laughs> this is how it sounds when you're at home and you're talking to your husband. 
Here's how it sounds when no one's listening to you and you're going through and you're suffering and you don't want to come to church anymore and you're trying to give up and, and you, you know, I don't want to do ministry and, I, and all of these things in life. I just want to give up. Here's how it sounds. Does he say the things? Yes, he does. But does he turn his back on God? No, he doesn't. Because his convictions are much stronger than his feelings. Is it wrong to feel that way? Is it a sin to feel that way? No, it's not a sin to feel that way because we're human. It is a sin to live that way, though. It is a sin to live that way. Let's read chapter 6. Then Job answered, and he said, Oh, that my grief were fully weighted. You don't understand how I feel. The reason why I feel this way, I have a just complaint. I have a reason to feel this way. And he appeals to his friends, and he's saying, you don't understand how I feel. It says, and my calamity laid with on scales. If you can just even lay out my burden, you could put that on a scale, you would understand how I feel. You don't know how I feel. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have, therefore my words have been rash. If you would only know what I'm feeling right now, you would not say what you're saying. You see here that they didn't empathize whatsoever. They didn't come with the heart of compassion. They came with the heart of pride. If you would only feel, and then look at now he goes now from verse 4 to 7. He's going to say, I feel like I'm a target for God. And when, when someone feels that way, you know what they need? They need words of encouragement. Let's read verse 4 to 7. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. It was said that those, back in the day, the native just Indians and Mayans, you know what they would do when they would sharpen the arrows? That they would actually dip the tip of their arrow in poison. So that when their target now had been attacked by an arrow, guess what the arrow also had on that tip? It had a poison. Job is saying, I feel like I'm being shot at with arrows, like I'm a target. And they're filled with poison. You see, he's battling. He's battling. Just like you're battling. Let's look at this. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Oh, just think about the, the, the imagery. Does the wild donkey bray when it has its grass? Or does the ox slow over its fodder? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in, white, in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are loathsome food, loathsome food to me. You know what he's saying here from these few verses? He's saying, I'm living in absolute misery. I'm living in absolute misery 24-7. Oh, then I, I may have my request. What is his request? Let's look from verse 8 to 13. A request of the hopelessness. This is something that maybe you feel sometimes as you're driving, you're alone. Look at the request. That God would grant me the thing that I longed for. That He would just do it once and for all. That I would please God to crush me. That He would lose His hand and cut me off. That I would finally just die. That He would still have, that then I would still have comfort. Though in anguish I would exalt, He will not spare. For I have not conceived the words of the Holy One. If I die at least, I won't be in this pain anymore. That's what He's saying. Verse 11, what strength do I have that I should hope? I have no strength left in me. Now, have you ever gone through a situation where you feel I have no strength left in me? This is what Job is going through. And Job had way more to lose. Do you ever feel that way? 
I have no strength left in me. Verse 11. Because he's going through this situation and says, And what is the end that I should prolong my life? Why should I live a day longer? Is my strength the strength of stones? Do you think that's how strong I am? Or my flesh, bronze? Do you think I'm, I'm as strong as bronze? Or my help, is my help not within me? And is success driven from me? There's nothing left for me to live for. If I'm going to live this way, I'm, there's nothing left for me to live for. Does he feel the same thing that we feel sometimes? But does it mean that you turn your back on God? He had a right view of God. The most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. Do you know Him? Do you really know Him? Right here we're learning, we're, we're, we're really getting to know the feelings of someone that's going through a struggle. But also we start to see the personality of someone that knows God. Verse 14, To him who is afflicted, to him who is hurting, verse 4, right there in your Bible, hurting, if you are hurting, He's going to tell them now from verse 14 to 30, he's going to point out the ineffectiveness of their ministry, of how they came out. If you're hurting, do not come to someone this way. <laughs> he turns around, he gives them the lesson. If someone's hurting, do not come and tell them these kind of things, please, guys. Three friends. <laughs> it says, to him who is hurting, kindness should be shown by his friends. <laughs> you should be nice to me if I'm hurting. You shouldn't come and try to beat me down. How many times someone's, you know, already struggling, you come over here thinking that you're the prideful Christian, you know it, you're beating them down. Joe says, hey, kindness should be shown to his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Look what he tells us. My brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook. You know, verse 15, my brothers, you have dealt deceitfully or you have been very unreliable in this time that I've been going through. You have, you've been like a brook. Very unreliable, it says. Like the streams of the brooks that pass away, you're just, you're just passing away as I'm going through all of this. You're, you're not effective whatsoever. Which are dark because of the ice and into which the snow vanishes. When it is warm, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. You see, he's saying, you guys were my friends when I was prosperous, and now that I'm not prosperous, now you guys want to just talk bad about me. You turned against me now. When I was prosperous, you were there. It's just like, you know, the, the, the brook. When it's warm, it ceases to flow. When it's hot, they vanish from its place. You're seasonal friends. <laughs> Have you ever had a seasonal friend? It's only there when, guess what? Things are going good, and then things are going bad, and they're not your friends no more. <laughs> the paths of their way turn aside. They go nowhere and perish. It says here, the uh, caravans of Tama look. The travelers of Sheba hope for them. And what happens to them? We're looking for them. The caravans are looking for them. They're seeking for those friends of her hope. They are disappointed because they, are, because they were confident. They came there and are confused. Verse 20. Let's keep reading. For now you are nothing. You see the terror and are afraid. You're giving me no help. Did I ever say, bring me something to me? Did I call you to come to me? Notice, Job didn't call these guys. They just came on their own and they started to say stuff. And they, they actually demonstrated an attitude of self-righteousness. When people are going through struggle, it should, and they're going through pain, it should hurt you. That's what compassion means. It should hurt you. It shouldn't make you happy. It should hurt you. That's compassion. 
He says, or do you offer a bribe for me from your wealth or deliver me from the enemy's hand or redeem me from the hand of oppressors? Teach me and I will hold my tongue. All right, tell me then. If there's something really wrong, just tell me that. I'm open. I'm open. Teach me. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. How forceful are right words. But what do you arguing prove? I've done nothing wrong, verse 25. Do you intend to rebuke my words? Do you think that, that you're convincing to me? And the speeches of a desperate one, which you are a, as a wind? Yes. Look at what they do to him. Verse 27. You overwhelmed the fatherless. And now, and you undermine your friend. Are you undermining those people that you love when they're going through adversity? You undermine them? You don't think much of them? Or you overwhelm them instead? They're overwhelming him and they're undermining them, undermining him. Don't undermine your friend or overwhelm them. Now, therefore, be pleased, look at me, for I would never lie to your face. I, I'm not lying to you when I'm saying this, that I'm innocent, Job is saying. Yield now, let there be no injustice. Stop assuming that I'm guilty. You know what injustice was? The injustice for Job was? The injustice was that they were now saying, You're guilty, Job. You're guilty. You're, you deserve it. You didn't deserve it. It says, stop assuming that I'm guilty. It says, yes, concede my righteousness still stands. Please, look at your Bible right now. And underline, my righteousness still stands. You're going through the struggle. Does your righteousness still stand? Or does your righteousness fall every time your emotions fall? Every time you feel beat up, does your righteousness fall too? Because I'm concerned about my feelings. I'm not concerned about what God, what, who I know God is. I know who God is. So even when I'm being beat up by everything in life, and I'm being beat up by my friends, my righteousness still stands. Notice how there's an... Uh, I love this because I almost feel like he yelled at them. The exclamation point right there. Convictions. You know what the exclamation point teaches me? Convictions. My righteousness still stands. My integrity still stands, even when I'm getting beat up. Right? Is there any injustice in my tongue? Do you think I'm lying? Am I, am I, am I lying? Cannot my, taste discern, cannot my taste discern the unsavory? I'm not lying. And this last verse, cannot my taste discern the unsavory? Do you not think that I, I can tell the difference between a truth and a lie between what's right and wrong. I can tell the difference. You don't think my taste buds can tell the difference between something that tastes good and something that doesn't taste good? Do you not think I know the difference between what's right and wrong? I know the difference Job is saying. And I'm not lying. My integrity still stands. I'm not, I don't know, maybe I'm standing, maybe I'm not standing. That's the world today. <laughs> maybe I have integrity, maybe I don't have integrity. What do you mean, maybe? How do you maybe have integrity? <laughs> There's nothing such as maybe integrity. Either you have integrity or you don't have integrity. But do you see how he's so sure about that? Now, let's read chapter 7 here as we read through this. I mean, we're learning so much today in regards to who the Lord is. And in chapter 7, we're going to really start to see that his suffering is comfortless, he feels now. And he, and he talked, in chapter 6, he was talking, directing his speech towards his friends. In chapter 7, he's directing his speech toward God. Six, towards his friends. Job chapter seven, he's directing his speech towards God. And I know, I'm telling you guys this because I'm giving you an outline. That way next time you come through Job in your Bible, you know exactly what's going on. 
Because it's difficult to read this. We're not used to reading you know, poetry this way. Chapter 7, he's talking to God. He feels weighed down. He feels that he's not going to make it, and now he's talking to God. Is there not a time, verse 1, is there not a time of hard service for a man on earth? Are there not his days also like the days of a hired man? Isn't, isn't the days uh, in someone's life, aren't they hard days? But he's going to say they're also paid days. He's talking to God. He's going to start to tell him a little bit about how he feels. Like a servant who urgently desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly waits for his wages, so I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. Just like a, you know, someone that's out there serving and working in the field? Guess what they're working for? They know that they're going to get paid. And they have to work a certain amount of time for a certain amount of pay. For him, he's saying, look at what's happened to me. I have nothing to look forward to even in this pay. And he's telling the Lord this, right? At least those that are working hard and sweating hard, at least those that are working hard and going through rigorous work, they have to work, look forward to a pay. I don't have to look forward to nothing, Job said. <laughs> now he says, when I lie down, I say, when I shall I arise? And the nights will be ended, for I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. Look at, have you ever felt that like you're tossing till dawn? You're turning and tossing till the morning. Can't sleep. Anxious. Desperate. Hopeless. Can't sleep. Right? Verse 5. Let's keep reading. My flesh is cake with worms and dust. <laughs> he said, he's saying, I'm basically dead. My, my, have you ever, I mean, think about this guy's body, how it would look. It said that then when his friends went to Job, they didn't even recognize him. Talk about a struggle. I mean, your friends recognize who you are still. They said that his, his appearance was so messed up that didn't, they came and like, is, is that really him? They did not recognize him. Do you see the, 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 the gravity of, of his suffering? My skin is cracked and it breaks out afresh. He had something to say. My days, he's crying out to God from verse 6 here. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. My days are going by fast. I'm, I, he feels like he's towards the end. And we, they are spent without hope. Look at this. I feel hopeless. I feel hopeless. Oh, remember that my life is like a breath. My life goes by so fast. Notice that life is so quick. And it says now, my eyes will never again see good. I'm never going to get out of this. I'm never going to see good. That's what the enemy wants to tell you. You never will have your job back. You'll never have your family back. You'll never have those good days back. Those, the best days are behind you. When you have the grace of God, the best days are ahead of you. Because you're always in the grace of God. Look what he's saying. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. I'm going to die. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be as a cloud disappears and vanishes away. Just like a cloud that once was and no longer is. So he who goes down to the grave does not come up. Listen, I'm one day, I'm pretty soon, he's saying, really soon, I'm just going to be a memory. That's what he's saying. Really soon, I'm just going to be a memory now. Verse 10. He shall return, never return to his house nor has his place know him anymore. Never going to go back home. No one's ever going to remember him. He's, he's just going to be something from the past. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. He's telling the Lord, I'm going to say it, Lord. Lord, I'm going to say it. I'm going to tell you, God, how I feel. 
I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. Look at anguish. In the trouble of my spirit, I must speak. Anguish. Have you felt anguish before? Anguish. That's what he's feeling. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Underline that. In the bitterness of my soul. What happens when you're bitter? You complain. What does it tell us? He's so honest here. He's struggling with bitterness. You think about it. One day you had everything, then you have nothing. You're struggling with bitterness. Lord, Lord, I'm struggling with bitterness. Next time you're struggling with bitterness, say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I, I know it. So I'm, I'm taking it to you. I'm not hiding this. I'm struggling. I'm angry. I, I'm lost at all, Lord. You know, it was Harry Emerson, an old preacher that said this, bitterness imprisons life. If you're, you're, you're going through bitterness, look at He said, bitterness imprisons life. But love, love releases it. Bitterness imprisons life. Love releases it. Bitterness paralyzes life. Love empowers it. Bitterness blinds life. And love anoints its eyes with oil. Do you see how amazing it is that you can choose love over bitterness? I pray that you choose love over bitterness. He's struggling with bitterness because he feels alone. Verse 12. Am I a sea or at a sea am I a sea or a sea serpent that you would set a guard over me? I'm trapped. Am I like a monster from uh, the ground and, and from the sea? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with my dreams. I, I don't have any peace, God. I can't sleep and terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling now. That's what I choose now, strangling. And death rather than my body, I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone for my days are but a breath. Uh, it's like one breath at a time. I can't handle it. God, what, a man, what is man that you should exalt him? Verse 17. What am I that you should even take notice? That you should set your face and your heart on him. That you should visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me? And let me alone till I now swallow my saliva. You see what he's saying here? I feel like the end is coming. That's what he feels like. Have I sinned? What have I done to you, Lord? Oh, watcher of man. What, what have I done? Or why have you set me as your target? So that I am a burden to myself. Right? What, what is it that I've done, Lord? Just tell me already. Why then do you not pardon my transgression? Just forgive me. If it's something, Lord, I don't know, but just forgive me then. He, he feels like he, he just hates being in this situation. And he says, why should you, the Lord visit me? I'm burdened by myself. Lord, just move now and forgive me if it's something of me then. And take away my iniquity. Forgive my sin for now. I'll lie down in the dust and you shall seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. Do you see that he's saying... Lord, I know you're full of compassion. I know you're full of mercy. Answer my cry, Lord. Answer my cry. Answer my petition. Answer my cry and my petition. Have you ever cried out to God, Lord, just, if it's me, then just forgive me. He got to the end of himself. The end of yourself is always the beginning of God. The end of yourself is the beginning. Of, that's where he's coming to, the end of himself, which is the beginning of God. Let's read chapter 8. 
Then Bildad, the second friend, he's coming. Look at his second friend. I, I, I want to read the second friend because the second friend's going to teach us a lot as well. And look what the second friend comes and he's saying, you know what, Bildad, you need to be, uh, he says, you know what, Job, you need to be schooled. You need to learn from the past. He comes with philosophy. He comes with education. He comes trying to be orthodox where he's saying there's all, it's, it's black and white. I know, you don't know, I have education, you don't have education, I'm experienced, you don't have experience. Look at the past. He's older than Job, and he's, he's trying to really say, Job, I know you do not know Job. And Bill, I said, how long will you speak these things? Look what he's saying from verse 1 and 3. And the words of your mouth be like a strong wind. Your, your words are empty, Job. He tells them, does God now subvert judgment, or does the Almighty pervert justice? He's going to go back to the same thing, that his other friend said, you think God will, will pervert justice? Do you think that God is unfair? you think that, that, that God is, is someone that would just punish you for no reason? you think that who God is? They had a wrong view of God. They thought that God was punishing him for a reason. That's what they're saying. You think that God would pervert justice? Do you think God is unfair? Because they believed that what was, happening, what was happening to him was fair and that he did deserve it. If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away from their transgression. If you'd earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, look, if you would just please now seek the Lord. If you were pure and upright, if you really had integrity, surely now he would awake for you. If you had integrity, God would already restore you by now, Job. And prosper you into its rightful dwelling place. He would already redeemed you. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Right? Though you, you started small, you would end big. And, and God would have already rescued you if you were really innocent. For inquire, please, of the former age and consider the things discovered of their fathers. Look at what he's saying. He's referring back to the past. This is a man that's going to come with education. This is a person that's going to come and think that they know things because of what they've been through. The worst thing that you can offer someone is your past. It's good to learn from it, but we don't want to live in it. And he's going to tell him from verse 8 to 10, you need to be schooled. You need to do your research. You need to get experience now. Verse here, A, and consider the things discovered by their fathers for we were born yesterday and we know nothing. Because our days are on earth or a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? Learn from the past. Look, let's learn from our fathers that have gone and done it before. You see what he's telling him here now? He, he, this man idolizes the past. I pray that we would not idolize the past. That you can learn from the past but not live in the past. Learn from the past but don't live in the past, please. For, for Bildad... For Bildad, the past was a parking lot instead of a launching pad. Is, it a par is the past a parking lot or is it a launching pad for you? Do you say, from the past, I'm launching into what the future holds for me and the Lord. I'm not staying in the past. The past must be a rudder. I've, I've read this week that it, Warren Worsby said, the past must be a rudder to guide us, not to anchor or to hold us back. The past may be a rudder to guide us, not an anchor to hold us back. What is the past for? To guide us. Now this man was trying to hold him back, saying, let's, let's live in the past. 
Will they not teach you, verse 8, and tell you in other words from their heart, can a papyrus grow without a marsh? Now can this certain now flower grow with no substance or without water? Can the reeds flourish without water? While it is yet green, it is not come down. It withers before any other plant. You see, plants wither up with it when they don't have any water. So are the paths of all those who forget God. And just like those that forget God, they dry up as well. You're dried up, Job. And the hope of the hypocrites shall perish, whose confidence shall be cut off, whose trust is in the spider's web. You're like a hypocrite, he's saying. And your trust was like a spider's web. You know, can you ever lean on a spider's web and feel secure? He said, you have a very insecure future, Job. Right? But these are not the words that he needed to hear. He leans on the house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. Look at that. You're leaning on things that don't endure. He grows green in the sun, and he, his branches spread out in the garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for places in the stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. He's uprooted because he had bad roots. Right? And his life is coming to an end now. Behold, this is the joy of a way, and out of, the, uh, out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will He uphold the evildoers. What are you saying? God is never going to do this to someone that's blameless. Did not God already in Job chapter 1 say that He was blameless? God said He was blameless. And here His friend is calling Him not blameless. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing, and your lips will be rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame. Just repent now. And the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. Do you see that what happens here? They talk a lot, his friends. But what they really need to do is pray. Don't talk a lot. Instead, pray. What they're demonstrating, they had very little experience with God. Very little experience with God. And the next chapter, we're not going to go into it, but the next chapter, what Job does is Job answers now. And he answers now. He cries out, and he asked three questions. We're going to go over those three questions next week. Question number one, how can I be right with God? Question number one, how can I be right with God? Question number two, who will plead my case before God? Who's going to defend me before God? Job's saying that. And question number three, why was I created? Why was I created? Why was I, you know why he, he, he does this? Because he feels alone. He feels alone. Have you ever felt alone? Let's go to Psalms 34 really quick. I want to read this verse to you guys. Psalms 34. He asks those three questions because he feels alone. Psalms 34, verse 18. You might feel alone today, and I cannot leave you tonight. You cannot walk away. You cannot walk out of this place without reading Psalms 34, verse 18. If you feel anything of what Job just expressed to us, because as he feels alone... He has to understand that God is still near. God is still near. You might feel alone, but God is near. Psalms 34, what does it say? The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And saves such as a contrite spirit. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And He saves those who are humble. What does God want you to be humble? He saves you. God is near to those who have a broken heart. He saves those who are humble. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Notice it doesn't say many are the afflictions of the wicked. This is a beautiful verse. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But what does it say after that? 
but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That can be a life verse for the season they're going through right now. What does it say? The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And he saves such who have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you. We thank you, Lord, because many are the afflictions of the righteous. But Lord, you deliver us out of them all. And I pray for anyone right here that's going through things that Job was going through, Lord. Asking questions, wanting answers. But Lord, that we would seek, Lord, to trust you in the midst of this and that we would endure like Job endured. Yes, we would have these feelings, Lord, but still I am righteous. Yes, I'm getting beat up, but still I am righteous. And if Job that suffered all of that loss can endure, Lord, give us the strength to endure as well. Because you are near to those that are brokenhearted and you save those that have a contrite heart. Many are the afflictions of those that do the right thing. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And together we said, Amen.